0: And it's actually my last week looking at the book of Exodus with you. And this morning, my title of my message is God With Us. I would encourage you to take notes as you're in church. It doesn't matter who's preaching, where you are, take notes. Be, be prepared for God to speak to you. I think getting out a notebook and a pen for me, it's me saying, okay, God, I'm listening. And if I don't have my notebook and my pen, I sort of feel like I'm not really tuned in. Um, and that's in my prayer time too, my time with God on my own. I always want to have my, my journal with me because I want to be ready to hear what he's got to say to me. If you haven't got one, no judgment, but bring one next week. <laughs> anyway, so God has brought his people out of Egypt and they've, the, the plagues have all happened. They've gone through the Red Sea after Pharaoh chased after them and changed his mind. And they're, they're free from Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. The Egyptians' army has been wiped out in the sea. And then they, they travel and we see they go, go to Mount Sinai, I think that's the next slide, just pointing out again where they are. So we, again this morning down at Mount Sinai, they've gone down there, they've been given the Ten Commandments <clears throat> and as we talked about last week, the, the Ten Commandments aren't just a list of do this to go to heaven, it's, it's a, it helps us to see what God's plan for his people is like and it just shows us that we are sinful and we need a saviour. And uh, the foundation of every one of God's commandments is love, that's what we talked about last week. And this morning we're going to open up to chapter 25, if you've got your Bibles. uh, Again, encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Um, Chapter 25, verse 1 and 2, and you can read along on the screen if you haven't got it. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all those, all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Have the people of Israel, sorry, just skipping past a few verses there, it talks about what the different offerings they can bring, the things that they will need to, to build the tabernacle. And verse 8 it says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And it goes on for the next five chapters about the instructions um, for what they should do. But point number one this morning is God's plan, God's desire is to live among His people. God wanted them to build this tabernacle so He could be with His people. They'd had 400 years in slavery, they'd had 400 years uh, being under Pharaoh's rulership and they hadn't been free to worship, they hadn't been free to to spend time with God as they'd been instructed to, as they wanted to, as they had been told to. And after that 400 years, they they get rescued from Egypt and God says, I want to be with you. I I want to set up this tabernacle so that you will know that I am with you. And he's kind of helping them realise that God has not abandoned them. God has not um, forgotten them. He doesn't want them just to do life without him. He wants to be with his people. The word tabernacle actually means... Uh, to dwell with, uh, to, to tabernacle is to dwell with someone and God wanted them to build a tabernacle to tabernacle with them. He wanted to be with His people because life works best when we love and worship God. God knows that if He doesn't help them understand that He, he loves them, that He's for them and that His instructions are good, that they will go astray. Turns out they do anyway but God wants them to know His love for them and worship Him so that life will go well for them. And that's the same is true for us. The, the commands of God, the things that God speaks to us, aren't things that are just random things that God's made up to make life hard. If we obey God's commands for us, we will be blessed. Our relationships with one another will be better. And our, if, if we know God is for us and we understand who He is, we will be blessed. I was reading an article just this week uh, out of the Wall Street Journal. It was written just a couple of days ago um, by a psychoanalyst. i was just trying to remember what their title was. A psychoanalyst that was writing this article and uh, I found it really fascinating. The title of the article was this, Don't believe in God? Lie to your children. And the article basically went on to say, if you don't believe in God and your kids have big questions, you should lie to them because there is no other explanation in this life, in this world, for so many aspects of humanity and who we are than a God and you might not believe in Him but just lie to your kids because they'll be better off if you do. That was the article. This guy with some Jewish background but he's a psychoanalyst and he's sort of saying, look, this is the best way to help your kids is to help them believe in a God even if you don't. And the article goes on to talk about how studies show that people with faith uh, tend to do better in life. They're, they're, they're more joyful, they're more successful, they're more peaceful, they're more involved in community, they're more, uh, more of a blessing on community. And he's just going on about how... how wonderful it is and he says it's kind of amazing how this this faith thing seems to help people i'm going yeah it's amazing isn't it maybe it's actually good maybe it's actually true he says to parents if you don't believe in god lie to your kids but actually what he's saying is there's no answer there's no explanation than a god in heaven who made all things and without an understanding of god life just does not make sense and I guess he's sort of saying, well, if you don't believe in God, you would as well lie anyway, because there's no judgment, because you don't believe in God, you're just dust, it doesn't matter anyway. Life makes sense, life works best when we know that God in heaven created us, He loves us, and we worship Him. It's not that He's an egotistical maniac that just wants us to worship Him, it's that life is better for us when we keep things in perspective and worship Him as the true and living God. And Creator of all things. So we see that God comes to dwell with His people, and they build this tabernacle that they're going to. We're not going to get to the fulfilment of that today, but uh, God tells them to build this tabernacle so He can establish His relationship with His people again. And it's it's different, but it's it's kind of a, a coming back to Eden. In in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve d- dwelt with God, they, they they walked with Him, they talked with Him, they, they did life with God in perfect relationship and it wasn't going to be restoring things back to Eden but God was establishing that I want to do life with you, my people and it was was not the same because sin had ended the world and, and they were sinful and sin separated them from God but God was establishing this desire is that they would be in relationship with Him, that they would they would know his presence, his love, and that they would worship him. He says, build the tabernacle. He gives them instructions for the next five chapters on building the Ark of the Covenant, the table, the lampstands, the curtains, and how big and how wide and how many of them to build, and the altar and the, the... anointing oil, sorry my writing was a bit small there, uh, and all these different things, God gives them specific instructions on how to do these things because it was so important for His people to understand that this is, this is sacred, this is amazing, this is wonderful, that God would dwell with His people is, is truly amazing. But then we read Exodus chapter 32 and these events happen amazingly, at the exact same time that God's speaking to Moses about building this tabernacle for him to dwell with his people, at the very same time, you've got the rest of the Israelites down the bottom of the hill, and this is what happens. Exodus 32 verse 1, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here, From the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Verse 6 The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. It didn't take long. You know, point number two this morning is it may sound simple, but it's so true. Humanity hates waiting. We are so impatient. We are so selfish, we are so prideful, and we hate waiting. Let's be honest. I mean, which kid is not looking forward to Christmas? We are impatient about so many things. Humanity hates waiting, and the people of Israel are are a noisy percentage of, say, Moses, this guy is, is taking too long. Where is he? He's probably dead. He's abandoned us. Forget about him. Aaron, make us some gods. And he does and it's kind of unbelievable to begin with but then when we think about the fact that just in the in the passage in verse 24 chapter 24 verse 17 it talks about the glory of the lord appearing at the summit like a consuming fire you've got moses up on the mountain in this glory of god this consuming fire that's all over the mountain and the people of israel kind of forget about what's going on on the mountain God's spoken to them with his Ten Commandments, and Moses is up there. I mean, it says he was up there for 40 days. 40 days, how many weeks is that? Who's quick with the maths? It's not quite six weeks. So maybe Moses has been gone three, four, maybe even five. Maybe it was six weeks. It was like, no, just under six weeks. He's about to come back. But they, they, they've totally given up on God, they've given up on Moses. And they say let's make our own gods you know we can get really critical we can get analyzing of what they've done and get critical but i wonder how often have i been indifferent to god because of the circumstances in my own life how often have i forgotten the love and the grace and the mercy of god because of situations or events that have happened in my life and things that are difficult And suddenly, because of these circumstances or situations, I suddenly seem to forget the mercy and the love and the grace of our awesome God. I think, how different are we? We can be so quick to forget and get so focused on doing our thing. And I think sometimes we even use the excuse of saying, well, I'm just doing this for God. We ignore what He's actually asking us to do and we do whatever else we feel like doing and say, well, I'm doing this for God now instead. Maybe life's not how we'd like, so we stop thanking God for His goodness. we get indifferent. Maybe church isn't really doing it for us. We go to church, we sing the songs, we listen to the sermon from that guy who talks too fast sometimes and we go, oh, it's just not doing it for me. I think I'll just stay home and do some gardening today. I I'll just, I'll just enjoy my time with God more in the garden. You know i love my time with god on the bike i love getting out in the bush i love i love time with by myself with god but god's command is for us to come together as his people we can grow indifferent to god and his instructions so quickly when we get our eyes on the on the the situations and the struggles in our lives point number three this morning and again it might sound simple but sometimes the right thing is hard I think sometimes we think that the right thing will always feel good and easy it's like yep we're going to get on the right track and if we're doing the right thing then God's going to make it good and it's going to be easy and it gets a bit hard and we go oh maybe this isn't right maybe I should try something else sometimes the right thing is hard imagine you go to a a personal trainer because you want to get fitter and you go to the personal trainer and the trainer says I want you to do 20 push-ups and 20 sit-ups and then run around the block three times, and you come back and you go, I think something's wrong. It's like, I have these weird, weird feelings in my leg, and I can't quite breathe properly, and my arms are hurt. Sometimes the right thing is hard. Sometimes the, the, the good thing is difficult. If we just do what we've always done because it's easy, it doesn't mean the, the, the result will be good. Sometimes the right thing is hard. Forgiving when someone's hurt us, when someone's wronged us, can be hard. If you've lost someone you love, it can be difficult to, to, to release them to God and trust that he knows best. Apologising when we've hurt someone else can be difficult, but we need to do it. Giving grace, mercy, pressing on when it's difficult, continuing, persevering can be difficult, but sometimes the right thing is hard. We can be so quick to forget God's mercy and His grace and His love for us, just as the people of Israel did in the wilderness. But point number four, and again it might sound simple, building a golden calf never helps. If your life is difficult today, I do not encourage you to go home and build a golden calf because it will not help you. We can, we can laugh about building a golden calf but I think we can, we can take that in our own way do it in, in different things. We can do different things in our own way building a little golden calf. Making our own way. Think of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, they decide, well, we're not having kids so we're going to have to work this out ourselves. So he sleeps with Hagar and Ishmael is born and, and we, we know that the, the, the torment that that caused. Ever since, David decides to take Bathsheba and sleep with her and we know that death was the result cheating lying deceiving we might feel like oh we're paying too much tax so we'll just sort of take some shortcuts so we don't have to pay this no god says honor the the, the laws of the land and you may you may find things you can do or try and get ahead or or try and get ahead at work or do things and you it's like we're building our own little golden calf god's way is not working i'm just gonna have to do these things because it doesn't seem like god's coming through on this Building a golden calf never helps. Or if you want to put it differently, thinking we know better never helps. Trying to work things out our way never helps. And it goes on in Exodus 32 verse 7. Then the Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I just want to pause for a minute and say, if I was Moses and I heard him say God say that to me like, like these are your people too, not just mine. It's like your people who you brought from the land of Egypt. Like, like God, you're part of this too. Sorry, just my own thought. Verse eight How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine Moses' heart in that moment? How it must have just sunk. And it says in the next few verses how God's anger raged against Israel for what they had done. And it says he's going to wipe out the people, and he says to Moses, I'm going to to keep... This, this family line going through you, Moses. I'm going to raise up a, a nation through you, Moses. And Moses says, no, God, you can't do that. What would the Egyptians say if they see you, you bring your people out here just to wipe them out in the wilderness? What would the nations say about this God? He is cruel. He's unjust. And Moses intercedes for Israel and, and God says, okay, well, I'm not going to wipe them out, but they surely will be judged. And it goes on in verse 17. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting down below them, he exclaimed to Moses, It sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, No, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. You know, there's a righteous anger that we should get angry about sin. He burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. I kind of wonder if that was a moment of it was like afterwards going, oops, I don't know if I should have done that. But he smashes these tablets of stone. He says he took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into a powder, threw it into the water and forced the people to drink it. And again, I think, did God tell him to do that? Or was that just kind of like a moment of absolute rage? Is like, tell you what, I'm going to grind this up, I'm going to throw it in your water. and like, drink it, all of you, drink it. I don't know how that happened, but that's what he did. Finally, he says, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? And just really briefly, I want to say, I think we need to be very careful when people like what we do so we keep doing what they want us to do. But that's not my point. And it says that God tells Moses to call the people together that want to honour Him. And Moses tells them to take up their swords and those who refuse to come and, 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 and... choose to live God's way, were slaughtered. It says 3,000 people died that day. And a little bit later in the chapter, it says, and the plague came upon the people of Israel. And I kind of get the feeling that God is expressing to them, you know, you are my people, but if you choose to make idols, if you choose to worship other things, if you choose to disobey my commands, the plagues that came on Egypt will be no worse than what will come upon you. He's saying, you you are my people, but if you do not follow me, if you ignore me, you'll be no better off than the Egyptians who faced those plagues and and death came upon them. And as his people, we need to realise that if we ignore him, if we live as our own God, we are no better off than anyone else. And it says that God tells Moses to to go, to leave that place and go on to the promised land. And Moses pleads with God that he would go with them still, because God said, I'm not going with you anymore. And eventually in chapter 33, verse 14, it says, I will personally go with you, Moses. But the plans he had for his people to, to be with them in the tabernacle, we get the sense that it changes at that point. He goes with Moses but he doesn't dwell with his people in the way that he had desired to. The, the intimacy that God, I believe, wanted in that moment, we never see come to pass. God told them to build the tabernacle so that he could live among them. But they looked to other things and that intimacy was destroyed. And I wonder how often we are just the same. We look to other things and our intimacy with God, our closeness to God... Is affected. But praise be to God, Jesus came. Jesus came and gave his life upon the cross so that our punishment has been dealt with. Jesus took the punishment for our sin upon the cross so that we do not have to be judged as we deserve. We will not be cut off because of the, the sins that we commit today or tomorrow. If our trust is in Jesus Christ, we are set free from the power of sin and death sometimes our sin in this life we we still struggle with sin and sometimes if we continue in sin our intimacy with god it says about our prayers not being answered if we refuse to to turn from our sin if we continue in sin we need to be careful about the way we live jesus has taken our punishment but we can lose that intimacy with god if we continue in sin ignoring god's commands just as moses interceded for israel we know that Jesus has interceded on our behalf, but Jesus was much t- different to Moses. He was the sinless one who gave his life as a sacrifice for our sin, that we could be set free and we could be free for eternity because of him. Romans 5 talks about how Adam and Christ have, uh, are similar, that Adam's one sin brought sin and judgment upon the earth, but Christ's one act of, of Obedience to God has brought forgiveness for all who would call on His name. Hebrews, I was just reading through Hebrews this week and thinking, wow, we should do a series on Hebrews straight after this. Because Hebrews just paints a picture of how all of the Old Covenant all just points to Jesus. About how all the things just line up. And Hebrews chapter 10, I just want to read a couple of verses. It says, Hebrews 10 verse 11, Under the Old Covenant, The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Christ never loses his power. The the, the power of the cross will never fade away. Then he sat down at the place of honour at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. If you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling unworthy, open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. The one, That one offering forever made perfect those who are being made holy. If your trust is in Jesus Christ, you are being, being made holy. He forever made you perfect in His sight. In verse 15, And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For He says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then He says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. You know, we do not have to make sacrifices to please God now. Some people get the, give the impression that it's like, oh, I'm giving this up so that God will bless me. That is not how it works. We do not give up things in this life now to try and to gain God's approval. We don't need to make sacrifices to restore our relationship with God. Jesus did that upon the cross. You may choose to give something up as an act of worship. You may choose to give something as, as a way to honour God. But we don't earn God's forgiveness through our sacrifices. And verse 19, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who ru- rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean Number five this morning, my final point. God wants us to know Him, to worship Him, and for Him to be central in every part of our lives. Life for us is better when we keep things in His perspective. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to know His love for us, to worship Him and and keep this life in perspective. As we do that the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be abundant in our life. We don't produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We don't work harder to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit abound as we keep our eyes on him as we do honor and worship him as God. As we keep him central and remember him day by day. Jesus has done it all. You know, the, the Christmas season is all about the fact that God, again, has come to be with us. In, in Exodus, we read about the tabernacle, God coming to dwell among his people, but Jesus came, God himself, so that we could be made holy, that God could dwell within us by his Spirit. And he's done it all. We can worship Him, we can know that we are forgiven simply by putting our trust in Jesus Christ, from repenting, from turning from sin and turning to Him. You know, Satan's only strategy now is trying to distract us and steal our joy in Jesus. It's the only strategy he has left, to distract you and to shift your eyes from the One who has saved you from sin. Let's not allow the enemy to come in with different things and distract us, to distort this world, this life. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Romans 8 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If we are in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It talks about the ones that face suffering and even are put to death. Does it mean God's love is, is, is broken no way? Nothing can ever separate us from His love. There's two questions I want to ask this morning as I come to a close. And it's this. Number one, have you invited Jesus to be Lord of your life? Have you truly surrendered to God and said, God, I am sorry for my sin? God, I am sorry for worshipping other things you know we're all worshipping something God has made us to be worshippers and in worship uh, gone wrong is just loving other things more than God and there's two things two two quotes I want to read to help you think about whether Jesus truly is Lord of your life the saying is Jesus is Lord of all or he's not at all Is Jesus truly Lord of all your life? Is your life surrendered to Him? Is He Lord of all your life? Because if He's not Lord of all your life, we have to ask ourselves, is He truly Lord at all? And the second quote is this, our pleasure reveals our treasure. What is your greatest pleasure in? Because our pleasure reveals our treasure. If we have if we think about our greatest pleasures in life, our greatest loves, our greatest joys, if it's not an understanding that those things are through God, then we have to ask ourselves, where truly is our treasure? Is it in what people think of us? Is it the reputation we can build? Is it the, the relationships we have? Or is it our treasure truly in Christ? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Maybe you know Jesus died on the cross, you've, you've given your life to Him, your faith is in Him. But as, you're, as I ask those questions, you're thinking, wow, how did I get to this point? And you know, sometimes we need to recalibrate, which, re, which brings me to my second question. How can you reorientate your life? As we come into a new year in not that long as we head towards the end of this year, how does God want to reorientate your life? How does He want to recalibrate and reset your life? Because the reality is, if we feel that we've kind of gone away from truly loving God as number one in our life, if we're feeling any sense that we've, we've kind of drifted a little bit from true north, then we need to reset, we need to make some changes, we need to do something because things will not change on their own. If we just do what we've always been doing... We'll just keep going down that road. An enemy just wants to distract us and let us go and just drift and drift and drift until we're a thousand miles from where we thought we were going. How does God want to reorientate your life? Let's keep our joy in Jesus central in everything we do. Let's let our every day of our lives be about loving God and and, and living to worship Him. Just a few suggestions. Maybe you want to Make a priority of reading His Word. Maybe you need to sp- specify some time in your week to, just to stop and to pray. Maybe you need to join a life group in this coming new year. Make Him a priority. We can so easily make allowances for so many things in our life. Oh, we've got to go and meet with family this weekend. We've got to go to do this this week. Oh, I can't spend time with God because I've got to go to the gym this morning. We can make so many things a priority, but maybe God wants to to reorientate your life and make Him the priority. Spend time just in devotion to Him, just to spend time dwelling with Him, thanking Him for what He's done for you, committing to His body, coming together, not just on Sundays, but through the week and finding ways to encourage one another. How does God want to reset your life? Is there things that He's pointing out to you this morning? Just imagine for a moment, imagine every person on earth totally orientated on loving God and obeying Him and worshipping Him always. Can you imagine what this world would be like if every person on this earth loved Him, loved their neighbour and lived a life of worship to God? What a world it would be. Imagine if every Every church in Australia was full of people. Every Christian in Australia loved God with all their heart and we truly orientated our life about loving God and loving people. Imagine the light of the world that this church would be in this nation. And then I just think, oh, imagine if we as a church here at CFC, imagine if we in this coming year ahead, can orientate our lives about loving and worshipping God, that the light, the witness that we can be to our community. I heard a statement this week, and I I should have written it down, but it was about the the most evangelistic church in the world is a church that loves one another. Because if we love one another with the love God has for us, we will naturally be a witness to our community. If we love one another, we support one another, who would not want to come and be a part of this, this group of people that have found the love of God and are showing it to each other. What a world it would be. I just want to pray and I ask the band to come. And this morning, if that's, if that's you, that you want to give your life to God and ask Him to be Lord of your life, even maybe the very first time, or maybe there's just something God's putting on your heart to say, I, I need to reorientate my life, I have drifted. I just want us to close our eyes for a moment and say, God, please help me. God, please help us as your people. God, it just amazes me that time and time and time and time again, as we read through your word, that you did some amazing thing that you could demonstrate your love and your power to your people but so quickly they drift away and God we do not want to be like that we don't want to drift away we don't want to just get distracted by the things of this world God we recognize that you are the light of the world that you came to this world that you created you gave your life upon the cross Lord, you were the perfect sacrifice for sin, the price that had to be paid. But God, we thank you that now through faith we receive your righteousness, that we can be called the children of God. We are no longer cut off because of our sin, but that you have given us new life through Jesus Christ. God, I just pray today that for each of us that you would help us to surrender those parts of our lives where we have made our own little golden calves where we've tried to make a way because we felt like you weren't doing what we wanted. God, help us to surrender those things, to give up those things, to turn away from those things, to truly repent of those things. And God, we just pray that you would help us, inspire us, lead us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've sent to help us to live for your glory, God. And Lord, through this Christmas season, I just pray for us as a church, as your people, as we go out from this place, as we live our lives this week, God, that you would give us a boldness, that you would give us a courage to stand up and and speak up about the hope we have in you, Lord. That God, we would truly be a light and a witness to this world around us. God, that you so loved the world that you gave your only son. God, let us be in awe of what you have done. Let us be so excited again about what you have done. For anyone whose who's love for you has grown dim, their excitement in you has, has faded, Lord God, I just pray that you would restore the joy of our salvation again, even this morning. Lord, as we spend time with you in your word, as we pray, as we worship you, as we come together week by week, that Lord, we would be refreshed, that we would be just so full of joy, full of your peace, full of the, the understanding of the hope we have in you. That God, nothing would ever distract us. No weapon formed against us would prosper, but Lord, we would run with endurance the race you have marked out for us. Oh God, what a privilege, what an honor that we can know you. That we can know that you are our saviour, that you are our God, that you have made a way for us to live in relationship with you now and in eternity. And Lord, we just want to say thank you and praise you today. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, all that you've given. That we can enjoy this life with you, that we can enjoy That perfect relationship with you for eternity, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to finish with.